Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Smith & Jones right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and your favorite podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review fresh content every Thursday. And, well, freshest of all right now, the Toronto Raptors and the comments coming from Fred Van Vliet on Wednesday. That's exactly where you knew we were going to start. That's exactly where we will start, folks. But, Jonesy, these comments from Fred didn't necessarily start on Wednesday, we could say, well, maybe they started on Monday or maybe they started a month ago or a year ago or a couple of years ago. This is something that seemed to be brewing. But if we just look at a little capsule of the last week or so, again, going back to Monday night, a number of questionable calls, a number of no calls. But then the most questionable of all was the late game technical foul and immediate ejection Scott Foster on Scotty Barnes. It had a massive impact on the game. Denver scores no field goals in the final minute and 32, but yet has nine points thanks to nine free throws in the final 90 seconds and a comeback win over the Raptors. Temperatures and and emotions at an all-time high after that game, but nobody really said a whole lot in the media. It was kind of kept quiet. Then we go to Wednesday night. Raptors lose to the Clippers. They lost that game. L.A. beat them, period. But, again, a number of questionable calls. Frustration boils over. And Fred Van Vliet, after the ball game, said this. I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought, you know, um, Ben Taylor was f***ing terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple other, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just the game up you know and it's, it's it's been like that a couple couple games in a row um denver was tough obviously you come out tonight you're competing pretty hard the third quarter i get a bullshit tech changes the whole dynamic of the game changes the whole flow of the game and um you know most of the refs are trying hard i like a lot of the refs are trying hard they're pretty fair they communicate well and then you got the other ones who just want to be dicks and um just kind of the game up nobody's coming to see that shit. they come to see the players and um i think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the NBA is and was, and um, it's been disappointing this season. Um, you can look up most of my texts this year have been with Ben Taylor officiating. So at a certain point as a player, you feel it's personal, and um, it's never a good place to be. That's not why we lost tonight. We got outplayed, um, but it definitely makes it tougher to overcome. I've said enough. We haven't even heard Jonesy's voice yet, so Jonesy, you can be the first to react to the eruption Albeit very calm, very stoic, but yet an eruption still from Fred VanVleet. Well, uh, it sure did start on Monday. And, you know, you and I did that game uh, against Denver. And there were, as you pointed out, nine free throws in the last one minute and 15 seconds. And some of those calls, from a Raptor standpoint could be deemed extremely questionable. Uh, you know, the, the Scotty Barnes, don't, don't discount the fact that he was involved in the play out top with Nikola Jokic. And it's tough because there's judgment. There are rules to enforce. But I think what is being missed at times, particularly for, by some of the young officials, is a feel for the game 
and an intent of a rule. And I'm going to start with uh, the Jokic play on the screen and roll with Scotty Barnes. They were both fighting for position, trying to get to a spot as Jokic was rolling. If you're a Raptor fan, it looked like he grabbed Scotty and hooked his arm, and Scotty, in trying to extricate his arms, pushed Jokic. So you know what? Let that one go. It's behind the play. As, as the ball handler turned the corner, was halfway to the basket. It's behind the play. Let it go. I'll go back even further. I'll broaden this. And, and I thought the Raptors handled it really well on uh, Monday night better than some of the fan base and other people on the periphery of the team. But make no mistake, that was boiling from Monday night, and you knew it was going to come out at some point. And this is Fred expressing that. And here is my issue, Eric, and for anybody who says, Jonesy, you're just jumping on this. No, I've been around the game for 52 years. And referees are human. Things get personal. And I think in this day and age of the NBA, because every player feels that they can talk to the ref, they get worn down. And they sometimes the, the fuse gets shorter and shorter. It also starts with, to me, some of the star players complaining on every call. Complaining on every call. When, it's, when their shot doesn't go in or when they lose the ball, they are automatically looking for a foul. And one of the big things is respect for the game, and they are totally degrading and taking that respect for the game over. It's our generation, too. Admit you made a mistake. You lost the ball. The guy stripped you. Or you missed a shot. There was no foul. Guys falling to the ground and, and, and just the litany of events that comes with uh, a guy runs past a guy and there's a brush and the guy hits the ground. What's your line, Eric? Like a sniper hit him from, you know, the top of the Scotiabank arena. Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that stuff is, it's, it's deceiving the officials. And dare I say it works sometimes. And, and reading between the lines of what Fred said, looking at the entire, watching the entire news conference, his technical sounded to me like it was directed, the language was directed to his team when he said it. We focus too much on the officiating. And, you know, a former Raptor, Kyle Lowry, used to do that all the time. But there came a point in the game where Kyle Lowry would say, okay, we're done with this. Let's play ball. And let's be aggressive. And let's take advantage of the calls because this is the way it's going to be called. And things would change. And Fred, to me, it sounds like he said to his guys, okay, let's play through or let's ignore this BS referring to the way the game is being called or the calls themselves. And that's what earned him the technical when, in fact, he was talking to his team. Right. And that's yeah. that's that's th th that sensitivity meter is far too high if you're an official and you're going to be calling technicals like that. It's never good when the whistle blows and everybody on the court looks around like what's going on. It's never good. It's never a good thing when the whistle blows and people look around. The meme Jonesy, is out Jonesy, there. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How about the meme the is out blows? there Monday night. No, and but another the ref blows does and it. everybody looking around, including another yes. official. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just the players, another official. Yes. <laughs> like what is happening? <laughs> okay. 
So let me let me come at it from a bit of a different angle here as well. I, and and you know, full disclosure, I love what Fred did. I love what he said. I agree with much of what he said. But is there a chance that this could come back to bite him and thus bite his team even worse going forward? Because you've often said, we've often talked about, I think the audience knows, at the end of the day, the officials, good, bad, or otherwise, are still human beings with human emotions. And if you're Ben Taylor or Scott Foster or anybody else right now, you're probably hearing those comments, watching those comments, reading those comments, and there's got to be either 99% of you or 0.9% of you that is saying or thinking, oh, really? Oh, okay. And if you're not thinking that, how is it not in your mind the next time you are assigned to a Toronto Raptor game and the next time you walk out onto the floor and see Fred Van Vliet, let alone his teammates, walk out to the center court for the opening tip and think that you're not going to have some sort of even sliver, let alone an entire tree of bias going into that game? Um, there will be bias. We all have unconscious bias, Eric. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, issue is, um, the issue is how you're able to control it and look past it. And maybe that, in a, in a kind of a clandestine way, was what Fred was referring to when he said, at some point you think it's personal. Is there a bias there against Fred, against Toronto? Um, you know, the, the person that speaks up in a meeting, uh, you know, and we're like that. In real life, sometimes we don't speak up for fear of reprisal or, or retribution. You just you just bite your tongue. And I guess Fred had had enough of that. And it was like, well, it's not getting any better if I don't say anything. So maybe this will help. So uh, there's always a bias, Eric. There's always a bias. There's always, I mean, I've been on the floor and, and watched things happen and heard a guy say, if I did that, it would be a technical. Well, yeah, it would be for one person, but not for another. So that's always going to be out there. The bias is always out there. Just think of uh, Raptor fans when they hear that they, there's a certain official calling the game or you know, involved in the crew that's, that's officiating the game. So those biases are always out there. Maybe Fred's like, okay, let's just get it out and try to uh, be a little bit more objective about things. And if he got the technical for the way it was portrayed, turning to his teams and saying, as his mentor Kyle Lowry used to do, all right, enough, we're done with this, let's play through it. And the referee hears that word and is sensitive enough to think that Fred is talking about his, him, or referring to the calls he's making in that way. You've got to let that go. You, you've got to be strong enough to let that go. I, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with any of that. I, I, and, and again, I don't disagree with what Fred Van Vliet said. I just, uh, I just you know... I hope, I hope for his sake, for the team's sake, that it doesn't come back to, to bite them even worse uh, in the long run. But the seed has been planted, no doubt about it. And um, it'll be interesting to see uh, in the coming days and weeks if um, more people follow Fred's lead or if uh, the great majority continue to sort of stay silent. Because this was rare. Like, this kind of outburst um, is fairly rare, especially with the language that was used. And the, the best part of it, too, it wasn't some 
mad scientist screaming rant. It was it was a calm dude just speaking very matter-of-factly, and even non-Raptor fans were nodding their head or posting comments in agreement with what he was saying. And listen, I don't even know what the ultimate solution or resolution is, Jonesy, to the to the grander topic because this is something we've been discussing in pro sports since the beginning of time, and not just basketball, but everything. Like, I mean, you're a football fan. I'm a football. Fan. In fact, our, our our first guest is on the line right now. We'll bring him into the conversation. He's a sports fan as well, let alone uh, a former player himself who played between the lines in the NBA. Raptors analyst and one of the all-time greats in Raptor history, Alvin Williams. Al. I'll hit you on this, you know, kind of angle diatribe I was going on. How do we even think it will be fixed or cleaned up, the it being officiating, when this is something that hockey fans and football fans and basketball fans and, you know, uh, soccer fans and everybody seems to talk about it. Always, We're always talking about the officials and inconsistencies and bias or or whatever. It, like, Al, what's your sense of things? Uh, I'm... I'm... I don't really, I don't really have a take on it. You know, you know, you you mentioned being playing, uh, watching, being on the other side, being on both sides of it. I just think you know, you get to a point where you know officiating is part of the game. It's just like you know, a shot going in. It's just like a play being called. There are three guys out there, and there's a set of rules that's a part of the game. And how can you manipulate it? Like you know, no, as players. When you start manipulating the game, when you know you got the flopping, you hear guys go to the go to the go to the lane and yell out "Hey!" and looking for a foul, and referees are biting on that. And the game is always changing. Officiating is always being reviewed, and all of those things. So I think the more energy as players you put into officiating, I think it's just setting you back. Now at the end of the season and at different moments, do you review? Do you do all of these things to try to make the game better, to make it fair, to make it more consistent? But if you continue to change the rules and you change things, you got different points of emphasis year after year for whatever reason, there's always going to be some type of confusion. There's always going to be some inconsistencies because the referees got to learn how to call certain things. They got to learn a lot of things. And the players are always looking for advantage. I've never seen, and, and I don't want to be the old head, but I've, I've, I've never seen so much complaining now after every call. I've never seen so much wanting to review <laughs> every call now that that's an aspect. Just play the game to play the game and, and, and see what happens after that. Al, uh, you know, it's okay. You can sound like an old head because I've already sounded like that. And I, I look at every time, particularly a star player loses the ball or misses a shot. If it doesn't go their way, there has to be some reason and it's a foul and there's a flop. And I'm just, it's, it gets, I'll, t- I'll say this, Al. And I won't reveal this list publicly, but I have a list of a, of five guys who are probably some of the top players in the game. I can't watch them play. It's just excruciating to watch them carry the ball and flop on every little call. And it just puts the defense. It just puts the defense at a disadvantage. Luka, excuse me. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, you know there are guys that it's it's tough. I know he's on the list. Oh, yeah, he's on the list. I, he's a great player, but it's tough to watch him play. It's tough to watch him yeah. play. And, yeah. and Al, yeah. I mean, you're, you're from a school where, where you know, those games in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, we grew up on basketball through the 80s. 
man, it was hand-to-hand combat. You, you sometimes had to make a shot from center because if you got close to the basket, you were going to be fouled. There wasn't going to be a call. It was that physical. And I'm not saying we go back to that, but let's try to take the flopping out of it. Let's try to let those guys flop, not give them a call, and maybe they'll stop doing it because the referees feel they are exposed and they have to call, blow the whistle on every reaction. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I think, you know, even back in the day you're watching, you know, Michael Jordan, he would complain and he would get away with things. Like the, the top guys would complain. And it's, I, I watch something now that's interesting. And it's no shade to anybody. I watch the beginning of the game, and when they pull the captains out to talk to the referee or they pull players to talk to the referee, I distinctly remember a time where the guys, the leaders of the team, the guys that played the most minutes, they would go out to center court and they would talk to the referees and they would get the rules and they would have the relationship and whatever the case may be. I look at it now, it's kind of like a joke. You got guys that don't even play go out and talk to the referees at half, at half court before the game. Like, yeah. and a lot of times that just shows the relationship and the disconnect between the players and the referees now. And I think a lot of times when you look at players in this generation, they are more vocal. They express themselves more. I think they just come up in that day and time where it's all right to express themselves, where before it's kind of like just put your head down and shut up. I'm not saying anything's right or wrong, but, but the attitude and the, and the, and the, the person that's playing a game is a lot different. You watch players now. They, get, they can get guys kicked out of the game. They can go back and forth with the coach. They, they go back and forth with players on it. Like, so I think just that attitude in itself is a reflection of how people and how players are carrying the relationship with the referees. The referees have always been bad. The referees have always had a point of the game. The referees, that hasn't changed. But now you're just seeing more and more people being more vocal about it. And the referees have to be careful, and the NBA has to be careful because of the past history of refereeing and the gambling thing and all the all the all the misconduct with that. And I still another thing, when you involve gambling so much now, betting is a part of sports and it's outwardly yeah. a part of sports. All of those things to me becomes confusing and, and and it puts it puts a different light on sports in itself. Al, I, I can tell we've been having conversations for a long time because Jonesy and I often say to each other, um, we've been working together for twenty plus years, I can finish your sentence and I know where you're going. Al, you've been working with us long enough now and coming on the show long enough that you led me exactly where I wanted to go, so thank you for that. When we talk about the blurred lines that exist now, and listen, to you know, full transparency, we do it as well on, on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, on Sportsnet in the midst of Raptor broadcasts, Bet Rivers, hey, you just got a shout-out there, you know, a little, little bonus shout-out for Bet Rivers, twice now. It's in the broadcast, it's part of the games, it's in the pregame shows, there's uh, you know, how many hundreds of different gambling sites, it seems, that are now available and legal. And the league, you go onto their own app, their own website, you can get the lines and the spreads and everything else. So then when you factor that into everything we've been discussing, but then also, let me give you another one. Social media and the rise of social media and the impact of social media and everybody having the ability to grab a picture, screen grab a picture or a video and break down every single play, freeze frame something, read lips, read body language, analyze this, analyze that, everything and everyone 
is under such a microscope that is it even possible to get it right, clean it up, and be better the way we're maybe discussing or wanting right now? Because it seems like there's going to be um, potential for issues, let's say, no matter what happens, no matter what is done. Yeah, I don't see the ability to fix it, and I don't see anything that's wrong because it's, the inconsistencies have always been there. Like, it's always it's always been there. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's a superstar-driven league. It's, it's things that happen that that's always happened. Now it's just, as you mentioned, you can break everything down. Every game is being seen. This is not back in the day, right, Jones? You, yeah. you have one game a week that you see. Like, you see every game and every highlight and every – you have people on every podcast. You have breakdowns. You have every everything where you can look and see where a referee had missed a call. You can look at all of these things and you can see it real time and you can always go back and see it. So it's just more visible now that that everything's out there. But at the end of the day, this has always been something. It's, it's not it's not I agree. new where a referee has missed calls or has affected the outcome of a game and – all of these things have always been intact. I think to your point, E, you can just see it now. And now it's more of an argument. But the referee, and what we say way back in the day until now, do not let the referee dictate or you know influence the outcome of the game. Take care of your business as a team, as a player, and you just have to adjust. As a player, and that's why you become a professional, that's why you become more mature, you have to adjust the way the referees are calling the game. The one thing I will say with this play review and making sure plays are right. And Nick Nurse made a great point yesterday. One thing he just talked about was like, all right, you go back and review a play and you see a foul. But for the last 47 minutes, it's been a physical game. And these fouls haven't been called all game. So now as players and as coaches, you adjust to how the referee, how the game is being called. But this last moment, if that was a tic-tac foul, but it is a foul, and then you call it, that's not the way the game was going all all 48 minutes, all 47 minutes up to this point. So it's a tricky part with that. So I think the more and more you try to fix it and the more and more you try to enhance things or, or cater to certain things, I think that's where it becomes more and more confusing because it's going to take time to adjust. It's going to take time to get it right. It's going to take time. There's no perfection, but it's going to take time, and it's not going to be season to season. That's why I always get concerned when it's more turnover or more reviews or more point of emphasis year after year, because you just can't. A summer league is not going to do it. An exhibition preseason is not just going to do it. And the G League of testing officials out with different calls and different strategies or whatever is not going to do it. It's going to take years to get everybody like on the same page and on the same, on the same string to make this thing work evenly and be more consistent. Al, I, I agree. The, the inconsistencies are there. And, 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 I guess for me, I, I will say this, the, the fact that um, we deal with those through the course of the game is is something that the players have to adjust to. And once mm-hmm. it's established a certain way, like I look at, now let me go back to Monday night. The Aaron Gordon foul late in the game, he caught the ball on the baseline. He saw Jakob Pertl there. He understood how the game was going to be officiated, has been officiated. I catch the ball. I'm going to take a power dribble, jump stop, and go for a power layup. I'm expecting to be hit. And Pirtle saying, looking at Aaron Gordon saying, hey, he's got that ball. He's going to try to power this up. I got to be strong and vertical defensively. 
and there was a little touch with the shoulder and the whistle went. And both guys were surprised because that wasn't the way the game had been called for the first 46 and a half minutes. So to me, it goes back to the word that we talk about, the consistency and stretching that consistency league wide. I mean, I'll give an example. No matter if I go to McDonald's in Philadelphia or I go to it in Mississauga or I, I go in Winnipeg, the fries are made the same. It's consistent. And I think that's something that in, in all of this stuff with the officiating, there has to be some consistency established, which will, will, will help and take away some of the re- reviews and people just know this is how it is. And Al, I know as a player that used to drive you crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. And, you know, as a player, it's one of those things where during the course of the game, you're wondering why. Well, how, how are they getting calls and how we aren't getting calls? Or how did I get away with that? And that? So, I mean, once again, like I said, I always try to detach myself from the referees, just go out there and play. And that's always been something told to me by my dad and everything. But also, you know what? I wasn't the player that had the relationship, and I didn't have the attitude of, you know, paying attention to those things. But I agree with it, and I agree how – I agree with you guys, and I, I see how people can be frustrated. I listened to Fred yesterday. It's, after a game, you're frustrated. You get a technical foul, the game is going a certain way, you're frustrated. But once again, I do there. I do believe there's got to be a level of emotional, you know, strength when it comes to these things. Like, when it comes to it, because once again, if you talk about consistency, it's just like if you're a player. You're shooting 30%. I'm not talking about Fred or anyone. I'm just, you shoot a jump shot, you make a jump shot. You turn the ball. Like, everything is inconsistent during the game. There's nothing that's going to be consistent. So I think the more, the better that you can control your emotions and continue to play into the game plan and play into those things, you eliminate the officials to, cert, to a certain degree. I think as a player, if you're watching it and you can see these things, I watched Kawhi Leonard get the ball, lose it, dribble it, pick it up again, dribble it, and go dunk it. And that's a double dribble. Like, yeah. like things like that, but things like that always happen. I think it's just so much, so many things that change from season to season and points of emphasis. Now we know what the points of emphasis are. And now as, as spectators and fans and everything, we know what these things are because once again, everything is right in front of you. So now we have more, we have more things to look at and evaluate and critique. And we see if it's not, if it's not being consistent or we see if it's not being called. So I just think that's one of it, and I just really try to separate myself from it because emotionally I know that's not going to change. I, I just know it's not going to change. It's something I can't control. Al, I, I, I'm going to you know, briefly describe a, a portion of a conversation Jonesy and I had on our broadcast a, a few nights ago. Um, and I'm not going to go into too many of the boring details, but the reason I'm asking this question to you, and Jonesy, to, to you as well, um, but Al, you've – You've uh, run a camp for many years with kids of varying ages. I'm, I'm assuming from like 5 to 15 or older. Um, you coach high school basketball as well. You've played the game. You've been coached by different people, etc. You've played at all different levels. Jonesy, you as well. Where did the fork in the road happen, or, or where does the fork in the road happen? The fork being the way you yourself play the game, let alone the way the game is being called. And the reason I ask that is the story I said to Jonesy, my kid's playing in a house league basketball game last week, and in a 25-30 minute game, one of the coaches serving as the official must have blown the whistle 15-20 times for a carry, and I loved it 
because he was calling the game the way it was supposed to be called. He was calling fouls or, or infractions or whatever the way that it was supposed to be called, the way it is by the rule book. You're not letting kids put their hand down at 6 o'clock and then pull their, ball, pull their hand back over the ball. Every time he called the carry, it was a carry. But if we're teaching young kids the proper way to dribble, let alone to shoot and pass and play, if we're teaching kids the proper way to set a screen or to to drive to the hoop without committing a charge or a foul or whatever, at what point does it change where either the players themselves or the officials are allowing the game to be played differently, to be called differently, and not the way it was when we were raised when we first started picking up a ball and falling in love with the sport? Man, I just think everything has changed now. Now you have, even when you're young, you have officials that are trying to, they're talking you through the game. All right, get out of the lane. That's three seconds. You know, keep your hand. They'll talk you through the game because they're trying to teach you as well. I think when you have a board or a commission of officials that that's the goal and that's the objective, officiating these games in youth league or at this age, you know, it's a teaching point. It's, it's all instruction. Yeah, we're, we're monitoring the game and we're bringing structure to the game, but at the same time, you know, Let's, let's teach the game and let's let's make sure that players are getting the fundamentals straight and they know what call is what. So everybody, that can't be in, that can't be inconsistent. It can't. We have a game on Saturday, last Saturday, and the referee called 15 carries because we're teaching them the rules and teaching them a proper way of dribbling the basketball. And then the next week we play it's a different official and they let you get away with it. So everything has to be consistent from a from an instructional standpoint. When you start going up different levels and players start getting better and there's more things involved. It's TV time. It's, it's, it's a schedule. It's things we got to make these games go faster and we can't call everything because we'll be here forever. And the players should know the rules to a certain degree. So I think officiating changes over time and the purpose and, and the, the outlook of officiating and the direction of officiating changes throughout the levels that you're playing in. But I think one, of, one thing, everybody wants to be a part of the show. You know, you, you, it's not just you come and watch the players especially the youth, you don't just come watch the players. The parents want to be loud out there. The parents want to make sure everybody sees that that's my kid and they want to be a part. The referees want to be a part of the show by doing certain things. So just the whole culture of sports, you know, is so visible now. And I think everybody finding their lane, they don't just have to be one of the 10 guys out there on the floor, one of the 10 leads out there on the floor. They can be a part of the show as well. And I think that comes into it. And even at the professional level, these are individuals that this is their opportunity to be seen. This is their opportunity to make a mark. And unfortunately, that can impact the game as well. So when we do talk about the inconsistencies and things like that, the only thing that I have pushed back on with the referees is the attitude. We're human beings out there, the level of arrogance sometimes that referees display and a level of, 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 just, of disregard for another person out there on the floor and a disrespect sometimes it is not cool. If you're going to treat one player one way, you treat them all the same way for 48 minutes and for these games. So I think that's where the frustration level with a with a player. If you're not if you're being inconsistent and I can't even talk to you and you're disregarding me or you're just you're just you know just ignoring me and now you want to give a technical foul or do something when I get upset, that's not cool. So I think just the attitude and the character of referees need to be evaluated year after year to see if they're if they're prepped. To, to do this job. It's kind of like police policing, police officers. You put bring certain police officers in your community, can they can they can they work with these people here? Can they are they fit to do the job properly in the way it needs to be done? 
But, and, you know, I think there is a disconnect when you talk, talk about officials and the purpose of officiating. Is it for structural or is it for instruction? So I think that's where, that's where the fork in the road comes. Al, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us on the show. And uh, actually, Jonesy, we're going to step aside quickly, but continue this conversation after the break. Brian Getzeiler from Sirius XM Satellite Radio will join us again. Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan every Thursday and on your favorite podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review as we continue the conversation on officiating. Um, I think there's still a lot to discuss here, Jonesy. Let's bring in to the chat right now from Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, NBA Radio, Brian Getzeiler. Welcome back to Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul jo- Actually, you know what? Let me do this later. Let's just get into it right now. Let's, let's, Austin, we'll just piece it together afterwards. Yeah. All right? Let's just jump into it. Okay. Three, two, and one. Brian, um, good to have you on. And not surprisingly, we're going to continue the theme of this show uh, where it's been going for the last you know, 20, 30 minutes already. Fred Van Vliet and the comments that came on Wednesday night after Toronto's loss to the Los Angeles Clippers. I feel like Fred spoke for not just himself, not just his team, but potentially, arguably, a whole bunch of players in the NBA. I don't know if he handled it properly in terms of actually calling out names, but part of me says, you know what? Own your words, own what you feel and how you feel, and speak your truth, and the punishment is what it is, and put it out there in the ether. And I've got to imagine there are a lot of NBA players that are either publicly or silently nodding their head or clapping their hands or saying, yep, 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 and they've got Fred's back right now. What was your initial reaction, and has it changed since you ultimately first heard the words come out? No, I listen, my initial reaction, first of all, I think, and I'm very sensitive to being overly critical of officials. It's a hard job, guys, as you well know. Um, I also think that this year the officiating in the NBA has been uneven. And, and I think that's a, that's a blanket statement across the board. And I do think there needs to be a whole lot more of just games being officiated in a uniform fashion. Listen, first of all, I think the officiating on a whole, you know, favors offense is way too much, way too much. I think it makes it very hard to defend in this league. And, and, and I think that's part of this. But actually, I saw what Fred Van Vliet did in, you know, two nights where you could fairly say that the Raptors got screwed a little bit. I actually thought that represented some leadership. You know what? You start to call out, it, it, you know, and, and I, you know, sometimes you look at a guy that explodes and say, hey, that's an emotional explosion. We see it all the time with Draymond Green. And he can tell you, can the cows come home, how some of his stuff is strategic. It's not. But I thought Fred Van Vliet it was pretty strategic. And, and, and I think the fact is, is that, you know what, if I'm willing to take a fine on the chin to call guys out by name, and that's what he was willing to do, no one said it. He knows he's going to get fined. He said he's going to get fined. It, it kind of reminded me of the stuff we used to see when the Spurs were playing in playoff games from Popovich and Phil Jackson used to do with the Lakers yep. and the Bulls. Well, yep. You know what I mean? And Jeff Van yep. Gundy did it with the Knicks. Well, you know what? You call that, throw it out there, and, and listen, I like to say this, the referees have the internet too. You know what I mean? Like, they see it, they hear it, their names are thrown out there, and maybe, just maybe next time, 
there's a little more care taken in some of these situations. I, I just listen. I definitely they got screwed in Denver the other night. I, I definitely think what happened with the Clippers last night wasn't great for them. A lot of things are are, are not turning the Raptors' way with the officiating. The other thing is that. And I think you guys will agree with me here. This has been an underachieving team this year for the for the talent group that they have. And I think there's a general level of frustration up and down the line in the organization, not just necessarily among the players, but I think among the coaching staff and the front office and the ownership group. I think up and down the line, there's a lot of frustration with the Raptors. And I think kind of Van Bleet's outburst on Wednesday night was something that kind of personified all of that. You know, Geltz, I, I agree, and and you know, I've heard you talk about it on your show, and it's something all of us that have been around the league know. Um, there's a fine line, and when you're frustrated, and you know, you're not playing up to your capability, and you're looking to kind of get out of the mud, as, as former Raptor coach Dwayne Casey would say, stop running in the mud. You're looking for help, or you're looking for um, at least some some uh, illumination, some lights, some things to point you in the way. And when you get these calls and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and there are years where when Eric and I first started doing post games together and the Raptors were not a good team and people would complain about the officials, and I would say in my eyes, there there are sometimes two cycles. Good teams get calls, win games, get perceived as good teams, get calls, win games, and then there's the old narrative that, well, the good teams find a way. And they stay as a good a team as a result, right, Jonesy? They right. stay as a good team as a result. Totally. And a bad team finds a way to lose, so they get poor calls, lose games, labeled as a bad team, continue to be treated with, quote, a lack of respect, get bad calls, and they stay on that cycle. And sometimes it's hard to jump from one to the other, Either way, and, and to me, Geltz, and I've heard you guys talk about this, the flopping and the histrionics with the way the rules are going in the league now has to change. Every player that perceives they're a star, when they lose the ball or miss the shot, it has to be a foul. And I, 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 the refs have a tough enough job, and to have that amplified by people calling them out, by flailing their arms or or flopping on a shot and it not being called, even with minimal contact, that puts more pressure on the officials and it makes the game even tougher. And I just think there's got to be a way that they can kind of be more down the line with stuff and not be as sensitive to it because Fred was apparently talking to his team using a, a magic word in there, but not directed at the officials, saying we got to play through this crap. And that's what he got the technical for. Uh, you know, how do you throw Scotty Barnes out after one technical? Is it is it that bad? And did it hit home? Yeah, that Scotty Barnes thing the other night was ugly. That was that was. You, you kind of look at that and say, wait a second, you just listen. We don't want officials deciding games, guys. Right? We want officials doing what they need to do to make sure. And you want calls to be consistent. You want something that's a foul to absolutely be a foul. Listen, the other night in the Cavs Celtics game, you know, Grant Williams got fouled with .8 seconds left. Now he missed both free throws in a tie game. The game went to overtime. But they had to make the call. He got fouled. Like, it was the right call. No one's saying, hey, the officials are trying to decide the game. They weren't. The guy got fouled. They made the call. 
But when you toss Scotty Barnes in that spot, you are officials that are kind of getting into deciding a game. So, listen, there's a few other things at play regarding the Raptors here, and this is, this is what's tough. So it's a West Coast road trip, right? Both of these games. I thought the Raptors played well. And I think some of the frustration lies there because you know this with the NBA. You're going to walk into some tough spots. They walked into two tough spots. Denver's best home team in the league. That's a tough place to win. It really is. It's hard to. Um, then they walk into the Clippers. Clippers were desperate Wednesday night. The Clippers need that in a worse way. Listen, they have really struggled since Westbrook got there. I, I, you know, we can have a whole other conversation about, and I don't mind the Westbrook signing. I think there's a lot of upside to it. But the change entire way you play tempo-wise to accommodate Russell Westbrook at this stage, I don't know that you do. Nonetheless, the Clippers looked desperate Wednesday night. And I think the Raptors, because of where they are in the standings, because they look around this roster and on this team, and you see a lot of really good players on this team. You do. I mean, Pascal Siakam's an all-NBA quality player. Fred Van Vliet's a guy who played a major role not too long ago on a team that won a championship. Scotty Barnes was a guy that wouldn't be put forward in the trade talks for Kevin Durant. Like, you know, OG Ananobi, if you look at what they were talking about trading him for, you know, teams are willing to put up three first-round picks for him. This is a talented basketball team that, for one reason or another, and we certainly get into some of that also, has completely entirely underachieved. So here you are two nights in a row on the West Coast against what's premium competition. And you can look at the Clippers record and say maybe they're not premium competition, but they're certainly premium talent. And you go toe-to-toe with them. You go nose-to-nose with them in their own building. And then the referee falls short and does something that just kind of screws you. I, I, I just I see the genesis of the frustration. But, Jonesy, to your point, there is a much wider officiating problem in this league with the inconsistencies of particular calls night in and night out. And I really I blame, I blame the people making the rules because I do think that we've gone too far trying to benefit offenses and, and defenses do not get enough help with the officiating. Brian, uh, listen, we can go in nine different directions or 90 different directions with this one. I, I'd be interested in, in, well, both of you, Jonesy, I don't know if you saw the story as well, but it came out uh, on Thursday. Um, a story came out. It hasn't seemed to gain a ton of traction right now, but but I kind of moonlight from time to time in the summertime for about a week or two uh, doing some tennis play-by-play. So I, as a tennis fan as well, the Hawkeye system that they've used in tennis for a long time for their replays. Story comes out that the NBA will have full pose tracking uh, data for the first time, which captures 29 points of the body instead of one. Hawkeye becoming an officiating tool, potentially for calls such as goaltending, out of bounds, etc. But mm. nothing finalized. Obviously, nothing finalized by the league. Nothing finalized by the the players' association, and I assume the officials as well. But this Hawkeye tool, which has become unbelievably successful and useful in tennis. Could that be the way to clean up a lot of what we're talking about and the inconsistencies, or would it slow down and muddy the game even more? Is this something that not just basketball, football, hockey, everything, pro sports in general, is this where we're going, do you think, Brian? It might be, Eric. And and listen, I'll tell you this, because I have two thoughts about this. First of all, I'm not in the camp of get rid of replay. we got to make replay better. We have to make replay more effective. And there's two problems with replay, and they're counteractive problems. One is the fact 
that reviews take too long. They just take too long. The review the other night at Denver Toronto game was ridiculous how long it took. We need to, I mean, we can't be making, you know, it can't be four or five minutes to figure out what happened with a particular call. I know the job is to get it right. This Hawkeye technology should make that stuff be instantaneous. You should have a review done within one minute. You, you really should. That has to, if, and if there's not enough camera angles to look at, you go with the call on the floor and you move on. Like it, you ha- it has to be faster because the second reason is why it has to be faster. We don't allow the coaches enough replay tools here. One replay game is not fair. And I'm not saying it should be the NFL where they're allowed three. I don't, I don't think you should do that. But here's what I do think. I think that every single NBA coach going into a game should give one, have a, be allowed one replay review, same rules as now, in the first 46 minutes of the game. You use it or you lose it. Last two minutes of the game, you add an extra replay. Game goes to oh, overtime, yes. you, okay, and you put one replay in there. Because the fact that you have calls that are egregiously wrong over the course of a game, specifically in the third or fourth quarter, and I, I saw twice this week with the Knicks where Tom Thibodeau couldn't, couldn't challenge egregiously wrong calls because he had to hold on to his challenge in case he needed a late in the game. If you are able to do that and you're able to use this Hawkeye technology to bang these replays out quickly, we're going to get more calls right. And the big concern, and I do, and I appreciate this concern because it's still, we're still presenting an entertainment product. So I, I do appreciate the concern of replays taking too long. That goes away. But again, we can't lose, fa- lose sight of the fact that the idea with replays to get as many calls right as possible, and you don't want it limitless, you don't want it hurting the pace of the game, but I do think you need to have a last two-minute challenge. You can't accumulate them. You don't use it in the first 46 minutes. It's gone. Could that make for the occasional frivolous replay because we're going to use it just because we're about to lose it? It absolutely could, and, and it certainly could happen that way. But if they're quick, no one's going to care. Yeah, Geltz, uh, and that's what I said the year I was at Summer League in Vegas when they were testing it. I said, you need one that is in perpetuity for the first 46 minutes. So you use it, you're correct, use it again. Use it, you're correct, use it again. Use it, Love no it. good, done. I, I, I'm not, done. As, long as, they, as long as they can make them quick, I'm okay. But you do need one in the last two minutes. Eric, here's, I like the idea of the Hawkeye technology. Here's the thing that I would be uh, hesitant around, and it goes back to where we started with this. And I've heard Gels talk about it on his show Saturday mornings. The flopping, does the Hawkeye take into account, can it, can it look at touch points and measure the intensity of a touch or a push? Because sometimes they say, oh, he pushed him in the back. Well, he put his hand on the guy's back. He didn't push him, but from a certain angle, it looks like a push. Or, oh, you, 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 hit, his, you hit his hip. Well, no, I just, I, like I had three fingers on his hip when he went for the shot. Now, hey, that's three fingers. Jonesy, let, let me cut you off for one second here, and I'm doing okay. this in a playful way. I'm doing this in a playful way, Brian. And, Brian, you, you, you can either join me or join Jonesy. But I'm, I'm calling you out to some extent, Jonesy, because I, while I uh, totally agree with you and totally uh, agree with you. I know where you're going. Here, We've worked together for the, 20 years. I yeah, know where you're going. You're, you're the first and, guy to say on our broadcast, and you're right, and I would do the same thing. You have said, if I'm turning the corner, I get hit, I'm throwing my head back. If I get hit, I'm going to embellish. Because why? They're calling it. So if you're saying you yourself would do it, and you would teach your kids or your players, your your guys to do it, your whatever, then 
how are you arguing that it needs to leave the game? Because you yourself are saying you would take advantage of the same thing and try to do the same thing. So how are it's, we going to clean it up then? Because it's in the game right now, Eric, until they take it out. Hey, man, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's part of it. And, <laughs> and I, w- I would say this. The, the example that comes to mind is James Harden leading with the arms and, and sweeping sideways and getting all those calls years ago. They've taken it out. So how much are we seeing it now? Only occasionally. So I'm okay with it. Bring it in. But if it can measure that stuff and help take it out, I'm all for cleaning up the game. And no matter what the rules are, like Brian said, players are going to find the loopholes. It's a difficult job. It's judgment. It's not like the Olympics where you swim to the other end, first one to touch the wall wins. It's, it's, it's not like that. So um, I'm, I'm for taking it out, but at the same time, if it's left in there, guys are going to take advantage of it. I Listen, I, I will tell you, I was always taught, and I will tell you who taught me this, 1984 at basketball camp with the great Al Lavalvo, who was Lou Cornaseca's lead assistant at St. John's for many years. And he, yep. Okay, correct. And he had a, a basketball camp for top high school players. And by the way, I raised my hand to tell you, I was not a top high school player, but my father was Al Lavalvo's old friend, and I played with him and played against him years ago in the Catskills in the 50s. And my father got me into this basketball camp with all the top kids in high school in New Jersey. And I was not one of those kids. But Alabama taught that flopping was gamesmanship. There was yes. an art to flopping. He pulled out the gymnastic mats and put them from the foul line to under the basket. And he puts you on the foul line with your heels to the gymnastics mat. And he sent a kid bigger than you to the other side of the court and had them run down at full speed to essentially run you over. And you had to fall back at first contact. And if you didn't fall back at first contact, you got pancaked. And it was a great drill because it really taught you how to take a charge properly. And it taught you how to – and flopping's kind of part of that. Here's what I'll say about flopping. Listen, the league tried to do this a couple of years ago. They tried to start to instill fines for flopping. And it really – it became arbitrary. It was there was some guys some guys that weren't fine and some guys that were and the league doesn't like to do anything that's arbitrary that appears that they're favoring one player over another so everybody kind of pulled back on it and they forgot about all of those flopping rules that they had instituted but I think that some of that's on the officials and I'll take the conversation full circle in saying that it is really up the rest rest right there on the floor it is up to the refs to identify whether it's a flop or not and the truth of the matter is. If the technology, the Hawkeye technology, can help you indicate that, well, that certainly helps. But here's my only problem with that, is that, to me, the biggest punishment for a flopper isn't a $5,000 fine. What a punishment to a flopper is, you don't get a call, you're on the ground, or you lost the ball, and the game's being played with you on the ground or with you on the other side of the court because you turn the ball over trying to flop, like as you, as you talk with Harden, the Harden example. Um, that, to me, is the biggest penalty that you can give guys. And I do think maybe some of it lies in more significant anti-flopping training for the officials. How to spot it? What are we spotting? And I think maybe it's something the league's got to drill down on a little bit. Brian, we didn't even get to the rest of the league, but this was this was a league topic anyway, not not just a Raptor topic. So uh, we'll, we'll talk more X's and O's and playoff chases and races and everything else maybe if we get you back in a, a couple of weeks or something. But we appreciate the time, man. Thank you. 
Oh, guys, Thanks, whenever Gilles. you want, you reach out. I love being with the two of you guys. You guys are my guys, so reach out anytime. It's always my pleasure to join, and thanks for listening. And, Jonesy, I love when you reach out to me on Twitter when you're listening. It always means thanks. the world. So, please, keep doing that, you guys, and keep up the great work there in Toronto. Same to you, Geltz. Thanks so much. That was Brian Geltzeiler from SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Um, Jonesy, one thing I wanted to mention, one, one quick little topic or, or angle to this 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 entire theme of the show um do you think money factors into this and the reason i mention money and maybe this is my own uh, my own i don't know I, what's the term i want to use here guilty conscience not guilty conscience my own my own thought my own viewpoint what what is it about the celebrity life that makes us uneasy or nervous to talk to somebody that's like an actor or an actress, or a musician, or an athlete? Like, what is it about them? Because they're popular, what makes them popular? Because they have a skill, because they're in the spotlight. But then at the end of the day, is it also the money they make, the car they drive, the home they own, the jewelry they have, the the stuff that they have as a result of their millions upon millions or even billions of dollars? And the reason I bring this up is, have we gotten to a point in pro sports... And I don't know that it's jealousy or if it's just that there's such a separation between athlete and official in terms of the value of the dollar and the, the amount of money that they make. Like, I don't know about you. I'll, I'll admit it. I don't find it hard to talk to players because I've been doing it for 20 years. But I do sometimes scratch my head and go, how much do I make compared to what these athletes make? Like, is it even is it even one percent? And like, how much? How often? How many years have you and I been joking about when the contracts come out and somebody's making fourteen point two or sixteen point five or nineteen point eight, and we say, just give us the point. In fact, you know what? More often than not, we'll split the point. We'll take the point eight. Jones, are you good with four hundred grand? I am. And yep. and I I look yep. at that and I just go, do officials look at some dude, even a, especially a young player that might be on a rookie contract that's making like. Five, six, eight million dollars, let alone some veteran that's making 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year, and they're whining and complaining about a call. And you're, you're just looking, going, man, I'm just trying to do my damn job. And the amount of money you make, just shut up. Like, do you think that factors into it? Um, I, would, I, would, I would hope not, Eric. I would uh, hope not as well, but I'm just asking, yeah. It might. It might. Um, it, it, it might. It, you just never know because we're dealing with human beings and emotions and feelings, and that's the hardest thing. And, um, you know, and within those emotions and feelings are uh, our own unconscious bias that, that, that may not be, may not be uh, overt, but influences on the inside. And we have a way of keeping them uh, under wraps in public or publicly, but they're there inside. And I think the best people, uh, you know, especially if you're an official or anything where you have to make those kinds of judgments, you need to understand your own unconscious bias and how they could be influencing your decisions and maybe sometimes go the other way. Like I watch you, you are, you are an old school parent with your, with your son, because that's the way you've raised, you've been raised and that's your unconscious bias. But I know you and the way you are, you would probably give 
a kid the same age as your son a break <laughs> as opposed to your son who you would come down harder on because that's the way you've been raised. It's your expectations for him, like all of those things. You know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. Eric? Mm -hmm. All yep, of those yep. variables, all of those variables go into the soup and it's not the same with somebody who's your neighbor's kid as, as it is opposed to your own kid, right? Yeah, and same yeah. with the officials. Um, the star, and, and they've always said this, the NBA officials, and I, I find it hard to believe, but um, we referee the name on the front of the shirt, not the back of the shirt. I really, and I'm not saying they're doing it purposefully, but I find that hard to believe sometimes. I, I really, really do because of all the other variables, the entertainment value, the money, uh, the player's status, the team status, the opponent team status, the opposing player, that, that, that the foul or the, 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 the confrontation or the, the competition is against. I, I just find it difficult to see, to see that that could not be taken into account. So um, it, it, it just makes it tough. It's a, it, it reinforces how difficult a job it is. But because it's a difficult job, you need to pour yourself into it to do the best you can. Again, we want to thank Alvin Williams and Brian Geltzeiler for joining us on the show this week, folks. Fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and your favorite podcast platform. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks to Austin Mackey and Mark Boffel. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in again to Smith and Jones.